welcome to the Pillars of Health podcast with resident strength coach, John Carroll. The Pillars of Health is on a quest to help you gain insight into the best ways you can manage stress, sleep, exercise, and nutrition in order to live your best life. Stay up to date with the Pillars of Health podcast by checking out our Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as CoachJohnCarroll.com. This is the World Health Podcast with me, John Carroll. Welcome along, guys. This week we have Danny Christie on the podcast. Danny is located in Miami. Um, we're going to talk to him about basically his daily routine and what his role is in day to day position. Welcome to the podcast, Danny. Cheers, John, mate. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Seeing as the World Cup is going on right now, Danny, let's, uh, let's use a little icebreaker question. And I know you're from England, so I'm going to ask you the very obvious question who's going to win the World Cup? England. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you have to, you have to go with that. So, no, I think, uh, no, I mean the Germans always do well. Can't really look past the Brazilians too much. Uh, but I mean, we look good. This is the first year or the first time watching football that I've been um, excited about England. So, let's see. I will say it's the first time I've looked at a German team and I've been very unconvinced. Yes, very unconvincing, right? So even that last-minute win against Sweden, I was like, ah, oh, they kind of got out of jail there. But overall, they just haven't done enough, you know? Yeah. We'll see, right? Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we, should have a, we should have a chat post-World Cup. Yes, we should uh, we'll, we'll look back on the podcast and see how accurate we were there. So. Yeah. Well, it's not too bad. I, I started supporting Argentina, and uh, that is clearly fallen by the wayside, even though they, they won today, but they don't look like they're up to much, but... No, they don't look great either. <laughs> Just for everyone listening, Danny, kind of go into your background, kind of where you grew up and everything, and backstory and how you ended up on Miami and, and your current position today. Okay, yeah, I'm originally from uh, London, England. Uh, I studied at Middlesex University in, in London. I studied um, a degree called Sports Rehabilitation and Injury Prevention. In the US, there's no such degree. It's a bit like physical therapy. It's a bit like athletic training. It's somewhere in the middle. Uh, I had the opportunity to come to the U.S. Uh, 10 years ago. My original plan was to come for uh, two years, mm-hmm. and uh, I just haven't gone back. I've just I've retrained now as a massage therapist and a personal trainer, so it allows me to like live in both worlds. I do like soft tissue work half the week, and rehab and, and fitness training, really strength conditioning training, uh, the other part of the week. So it's great. I mean, I'm 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 doing sort of both things right now which is, is is perfect yeah and with that role at the moment uh, do you have a preference as to which side you're on there uh no i used to i used to prefer the, the, the therapy yeah. I, I was at one point i was doing purely so when i first moved here um i wasn't allowed to work inverted commas by myself because right. of uh, the, the visa situation and, and insurance etc so i was working in a small little studio in miami so i was doing training just tra- personal training pretty much just for a couple of months while I was going through the whole visa process. But then I started picking up therapy clients and I started doing therapy 100% of the time. So I've got, I've got a few links with personal trainers and physical, physical therapists locally. And I was doing just, just all soft tissue work. And then what happened was I was helping people getting better at their acute pain or getting them moving a bit more. And then, because I, I didn't really know anybody, I was trying to find them uh, rehab professionals or, and trainers, but I, I, I couldn't find anyone. 
So I started doing the rehab work. And after a month or so of doing the rehab work, they needed to move into more of a fitness world. And I didn't know anyone. So I started doing it. So basically, I've got clients today that I've been with for 10 years, nine years. And they've gone through the whole sort of process with me from the real soft tissue work, the real low grade, like clinical rehab, then more into a movement aspect and now into fitness. So it's, uh, it's kind of the way it's evolved has been kind of crazy, actually. That's kind of awesome, too, though, to have that whole range of people with you and kind of see you develop over time, right? Yeah, it's been really good, actually. And it's uh, just a great way of keeping clients, I find, for a long time. Like if I, if I just purely did the soft tissue work, I might have lost those people to someone else. But because I've sort of do a bit of everything, I guess, I've managed to sort of like stay familiar with them. Well, it kind of fills a void too when you're trying to look to refer out and maybe you're not kind of like, oh, I don't know who, who I'm going to use in this instance. And you can just basically use yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And that's pretty much, I mean, I do have a referral network here now. Yeah, so, yeah. But uh, it took a while to build up. And I guess it's like any big city, you have to, it takes time to find people, right? Especially when you're a, especially when you're a foreigner. Right. <laughs> Did you have any problems uh, early on coming over with the accent at all? Yeah, still do. Do you? Still do. Yeah. Wow. Especially like even now with my my clients, if I go to England or I do a podcast with an Irishman, right. my accent <laughs> will probably get thicker. Right. And my clients are like, "What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Where have you been? You only went to England for a week, and I come back and the accent gets a bit thicker." And but yeah, yeah, I do have a especially after a few glasses of wine or. Yeah. A couple of drinks, yeah. It definitely comes out. Yeah. Do you? I do. Just exactly what you said. If I go home for a while and come back, it it just kind of been around everybody back home. You kind of fit back into the groove, you know, and then you come back over and people are like, your your accent is thicker. Why is that? But um, definitely find that. But personally, I feel like it's just eased so much. Obviously, I've been over here, uh, what, 18 plus years now, and I feel like, I've kind of got a neutral accent, but then people are like, oh. Nah, you, you still got an Irish accent. So, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> they say so a nation separated by the same language, right? That's right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, looking back, how how did you get into the course you've done back home in relation to, did you know you wanted to be a massage therapist and kind of go uh, that route? Or? Not really. Like I was always interested in fitness. Like I was always like... Uh, into like fitness and martial arts. Okay. But what, what happened with me actually, is kind of weird. I went, I went traveling, I went backpacking when I was like 20, 21. And uh, after sort of like drinking my way around Southeast Asia, I was, I was on the beach one, one, one morning and uh, this little Thai lady kept coming up to me and wanted to give me a massage. I'm like, nah, I'm good, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just, let me relax. And after like the third or fourth time of her coming around, she gave me a hand massage. I'm like, whoa, that felt pretty good. And on my way home back to my, my bungalow, there was a, a Wat Po, like a temple that was starting a, um, massage, a Thai massage class. So I enrolled. It was like a, a four-week four class. And I went back to my friends. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be doing this massage class. If you guys want to go somewhere else, I'm going to be here for a month. They're like, you're crazy. And, then, and that was it, really. And then <laughs> I did that, and I carried on my travels. And when I was in Australia... I applied via UCAS, which is the the application processes to universities, and I applied when I was in Australia because I knew I was obviously going home in the next month or two. And right. I got back home and I went straight to university, pretty much. Now the so, uh, yeah. the course, initial course that you took, 
Did you see an instant kind of change when you were working on people and this was basically leading you down that path to basically kind of end up where you're at now? Kind of how you could manipulate people, basically? In a way, it was more of a change for me, like how good it made me feel. Because yeah. I was getting a lot of therapy because the class was like only three or four people in the class. And there's like two teachers. So we was getting a lot of really good Thai massage and Thai therapy. I'm like, wow, man, this is pretty powerful stuff. Like, this is this little 100-pound man moving my body around, and it's I feel good. So, uh, yeah, it, it, that, that definitely sort of changed my my path for sure. Yeah. So just for everyone listening, you're on uh, social media as Pain Posture and Performance, correct? Yeah, that's my business page, Pain Posture Performance on, on Instagram, Facebook, awesome. and website, all the same. same. Makes it easy for people to find you. So um, anyone listening, definitely check out his social media because he has a bunch of videos on there, some manual techniques and uh, also on his personal Instagram, some really good stuff on there regards movement too. So definitely check that out, guys. Cheers. In relation to training philosophy, and you can kind of you know combine uh, soft tissue work with actual uh, strength coach work here. What's what's your training philosophy when it comes to working with people? So I mean, it depends why they're coming for me, uh, coming to me. So most referrals now are like, my friend's got a low back low back issue or a neck problem. So, like, for instance, last week I had a referral for a, a lady who had a low back pain. She's had a bunch of MRIs, been through the whole gamut of therapists and whatnot. So what I do, basically, is I put someone through a SFMA, so a Selective Functional Movement Assessment Screen. Right. Are you familiar with that, John? Yeah, I've heard it. Okay, so I put them through that screen, or that assessment, should I say, and then that leads you down a, a very particular path. And... Uh, so let's say this particular lady, she had really bad hips and bad T-spine. She had no mobility, no internal rotation in her hips, okay. and she had no rotation in her T-spine. So I think we did like six or seven soft tissue sessions with her. She was stiff, and she had some instability, of course. And then uh, now she's going to be doing rehab with us. I'll see her twice a week. Yeah. And that'll be a lot of like inner unit, really low grade, getting her to like breathe and move, like look around and move because yeah. – what I found, or what probably most people find, is people who have lower back pain, they start adopting these very weird strategies. So she would like clench her teeth, real funny face, just to do like a bodyweight squat. And it's like she's like that high threshold strategy that's causing what I think is causing anyway, part of her movement issues and, and her, her, her dysfunction, her, her tightness and her, her pain. So I tried to get people out of them really obvious, obvious to us bad habits, like right. the breath holding, the, the poor breath control, the overexertion of movement. And uh, and hopefully she'll be with us long enough and we're progressing into more of a, a movement-based approach to training and then uh, just a very broad strength conditioning program, Yeah, and depending on how she reacts. When, when someone like that comes in to work with you initially, how, you know, obviously it's, it's hard to gauge on a person-by-person -person kind of basis. <laughs> But how do they feel and what's their feedback after the initial session compared to maybe what they went through with someone previous? I, I think they're very like when, – when you do the SFMA with people yeah. who have been through a couple of therapists before, I think they're a bit freaked out but a bit wowed. Yeah. Like, for example, like most people who come in with low back pain generally get assessed for low back pain. You go to a therapist or a trainer or a massage person, you have a like, bad low back they look at your low back and we all know that it's not always the site of dysfunction. Like if 
So when we start looking at her hips, her T-spine, looking at the way she breathes, she was like, no one's ever done this before. I'm like, well, that's probably why you're here, to be right. honest. I mean, <laughs> like, because, uh, so I just try to give them that like, human approach. Look at a broad picture. And, and what I try to do is educate them why we're doing this stuff. Because sometimes you have to get them to buy into it, right? Yeah. If, we, if we're telling someone they need to do some hip mobility twice a day and some activation stuff twice a day, you have to educate them why we're having them do that because it's their back that hurts. But most people who have low back pain probably have some hip dysfunction and or some thoracic spine dysfunction. And it's like the low back stuck in the, in the middle of those two big segments. Right. For, for people to create buy-in with you and on the program, you want them to kind of execute at home. What are some strategies you used in order to create that buy-in or do you find this like a trust thing? Um, well, most of my business is through referral now. Like I've only just started doing social media and um, website and stuff. So the good thing is I think when I get a referral from someone, I've kind of like been pre-sold or pre-qualified. So I don't, like in the early days, I had to really convince people to do that. But now I don't have to do it as much because 95% of my, 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 my new clients are through referrals. However, I still do tell them exactly why they're doing this funny breathing exercise or exactly why they're doing this weird stretch that they've never seen before. And uh, I find like if, if you do some real good soft tissue work and you can get some sort of like quote unquote immediate relief, yeah, like they're in. Like if you get some like pain relief session one or session two, you're, you're, you've got their trust. Yeah, that can go a long way to kind of set the foundation for what you want to achieve long term with that person, right? Exactly. And with the broad spectrum like SFMA, like, like I said earlier, like they're just like, they can't believe that you're looking, like their shoulder's so goofy or their ankle's so bad that, that they're amazed by that. And, and when, you, when you educate them on how and why this could possibly cause in pain, dysfunction, and causing uh, bad movement patterns, most people buy in. I, I've had a couple who don't and, uh, or don't initially, and it might take them a couple of sessions to kind of like break them down and get them to understand. Right. But... Um, yeah, I find most people actually are pretty uh, open, to, especially if they're in pain. If they're in pain, they're generally going to listen. Right. Yeah, they just want that to end, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 Now, you mentioned some, some breathing techniques there. Are, are you familiar with the Postural Restoration Institute? Um, not really. Okay. I, I, I've, I've read about their, their stuff online, and I've had a few friends who have attended their, their classes, but I've never actually attended one. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning to actually. It is on my list, kind of thing. Yeah, now they're they're definitely uh, approaching things from the aspect of using breathing in conjunction with you know maybe inhibiting or sorry uh, inhibiting certain muscles and activating other muscles and and so on. So it's definitely a, a makes sense type of approach. I think they just put it across in terms that maybe a lot of strength coaches are like this doesn't really make sense to me. Um, yeah, but I definitely think there's a there's a take home message there for for uh, you know. Massage therapists, PTs, strength coaches. Um, but again, it's just implementing it into a system that works for you, right? Yeah, and it's like when I'm working with people, especially if I'm working in and around the ribs, the diaphragm, the QL, the psoas, yeah. and you go in and you start working and that client starts like bracing or locking down their abs or holding their breath. I'm like, does this hurt? They're like, no. I'm like, well, why are you doing that? It's just a, it's just a, it's a behavior. And that's how, they, that's how they navigate through life that real high threshold strategy. And like those strategies are okay. If you're doing heavy deadlifts or you're doing something really heavy, you right. want to 
hold your breath possibly embrace your abs and do whatever but if you're just doing your shoelace up or you're having someone trying to release a muscle yeah you don't you don't need that craziness behind that but but, but I found that, that's a bit of a hard one to like, I, i've got a couple of clients with like breathing dysfunctions yeah and some, sometimes it's hard to change because i mean we're breathing all day right so you have to really really be acutely aware of of that and i find it sometimes especially with people who have real breathing dysfunctions it, it, it takes time in my opinion anyway or in my experience should i say it definitely does because we're we're basically the sum of the habits we do every day right and so if someone's a, a high stress individual and they're going through you know small stressors every day that are keeping them kind of in that that uh sympathetic state then it's, it's going to be really hard to change that so Exactly, especially if, if the client is not aware that they do it. Yes. I've got a couple of clients. Yes. Hey, look, like, like, for example, I was doing this um, neck mobility with a client this morning. She's like, this is easy. I'm like, so why are you making all the funny faces? She's right. like, I'm not. So I, I had her in front of the mirror, and she's like doing this weird stuff with her jaw, holding her breath. I'm like, this should be really easy. You don't need to hold your breath. You don't need to do that weird thing with your jaw. You're only turning your head left and right. But they're, they're unaware they're doing it. They don't know they're doing it. So we have to point it out to them, I guess. Well, that's a really good point you bring up because that kind of relates back to what you said earlier when it comes to education, right? And so if you can kind of educate that person as, okay, here's the big picture as to what's going on. We're going to try and attack this maybe one piece at a time. Or, or maybe you don't even tell them. You just kind of like have a plan yourself, but you kind of slowly clue them in over time, right? Yeah, you have to drip feed it in, I guess. Cause yeah. if, you, if you hit them with all many things at once, they get a bit freaked out. Exactly. I, I just, <laughs> I always try and teach a client maybe one or two new things per week. Right. Depends how often they come in. Or, or show them one thing that I think's bad, whether it be the way they hold their breath when they do simple neck mobility. I don't try and like correct everything day one. I just pick one piece. Yeah, I think that's smart because uh, I, I definitely early on as a coach, I, I was trying to, not consciously, but I was flooding people with information and then you kind of realize like, all right, just select maybe one or two main things and then we'll take it from there. And that kind of sticks a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you learn as you go on, right? That is true. You mentioned there, in relation to someone coming in with neck pain, what are, what, what are some of like the, the toughest cases you've come across in relation to someone who may have a lot of neck tension, and uh, how did you go about approaching those, those clients? Well, for example, the client I saw this morning, she's been having a lower neck pain, so yeah. like C6, C7. Okay. Um, She's got some TMJ issues. She's got like a like a, a laterally shifted temporomandibular joint. So she's having TMJ issues too. Yeah. Um, but she's just an A plus woman, and everything she does is like balls to the wall. Has to be hard. So I'm just like today I was teaching her just simple TMJ work, some upper C spine, lower C spine, and thoracic spine mobility. And I'm I'm trying to educate like this should be this should be really easy. You don't break a sweat. It doesn't get hard. You you, you there's no muscle tension. It's just easy. Just yeah. to get like a individual joints moving by themselves, like regional interdependence, right? I mean, right. you should be able to move the jaw without doing anything else. You should be able to move segments without moving anything else. So um, she's had she's had this issue for a while. Um, she, she she gets relief. She gets definitely she gets short term relief, like two three days post session. Whether or not she does her exercises as much as she tells me, I'm not sure. I'm I'm going to assume no. 
but yeah necks are tricky i mean necks are uh, especially if there's any like neural stuff going on in the neck or any big time like respiratory issues necks are always uh, a tricky fix i find yeah it's a, it can be deep trough when it comes to that area right because um i, I recently incorporated uh, a holistic approach from a, a dentist here in boston and he, he basically just talked to me one day about you know how your teeth are lining up and the effect of if they're misaligned then you are more prone to clench at night and that can lead to neck tension and you were talking about you know okay restructuring the teeth via braces or uh, some sort of night guard right and a lot of people obviously they go to the dentists get their fillings but that's not even coming into thinking as to what may be causing pain and you know that's really getting into the, the trenches there well, yeah, like when you start getting into the TMJ, you got to take into account like respiration. You got to take into account the atlas axis. Right. You got to take into account like the cranial sutures. I, I know people uh, back in England who had like their TMJ completely operated on and, and realigned. Really? Just because uh, their TMJ was out of whack, uh, and they they went for a whole surgery, cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. Wearing a brace for six months. Yeah, and it's like, and again, like like we. Like the whole clinching of teeth is an issue, like that bruxism. Like sometimes it might be a viable strategy. Again, yeah. like if you're doing heavy deadlifts or you're gonna, if you're a boxer, I mean, you want to be tight in your teeth because there's there's ligaments in there, there's dendrite ligaments in there that feed into the, the plexus to create strength, to create create stability. But stability when you need it, not when you're walking your dog. You know what I mean? Yeah, it shouldn't be a day-to-day -day or every minute type coping mechanism. No, definitely not. Yeah. And, but I think it, it, it does become that, and it becomes habit, right? People grind their teeth. Oh, definitely, yeah. Not because not they want to grind their teeth. It's just that's their, their pattern right now for, for whatever reason. Right, right. So I did see on your social media, on Instagram, the instrument-assisted soft tissue massage and how you use that. How are you incorporating that in, in how you treat people, and what's the, what's the feedback there? Yeah, the feedback on the, the, the instrument-assisted is normally very positive, actually. Yeah. Um, I actually did Greston Technique about eight or nine years ago. And it's kind of before like this stuff exploded. So after I'd done the, the, the Greston, I, I would get calls and people come into me and they would ask for Greston therapy or Greston Technique therapy. Yeah. So I think it was, it was kind of cool back then and no one was really doing it. Our only chiropractors were doing it. But I, the thing I like about the Greston type technique have you ever used the, the instruments, John? I haven't, no. Uh, I've okay, had it so, done on me, but I've never actually used it myself. <laughs> so what I like about it is like, so say like you're, as a massage therapist, you're working through someone's, say, someone's hamstring or someone's quad, for example. Right. So if I'm working through someone's quad, I, I can find sort of like high and tone the muscle possibly, some contractions, some tenderness. Yeah. And you can actually feel hydrosis. Like if you, if you, if you see someone who's got a real um, issue in said muscle, if you palpate the skin very lightly, you'll come across some the the, the skin, the fascia just doesn't glide as well as it sh it should, yeah. and you find like a, a clamminess to the skin. That's called hydrosis, mm -hmm. and that that's 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 basically Hilton's law. If you've got hydrosis on the skin, you're probably probably gonna have a mus an issue with that said muscle and the joint underneath, just because the, the 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 nerve trunk will feed joint, fascia, skin, etc. So what I do with the Greston, when I'm working a muscle you can feel lumps and bumps and, and like heightened tone. Yeah. And the client can feel it too. So I'll, I'll work on myself. I say, can you feel this? Does it hurt? They're like, yeah, I can really feel that. It feels weird. But when you do it with a thumb, it's not as obvious to the client that you've come across 
a trigger point or some hypertonicity in the muscle, but the the, the, the instruments heighten it big time, actually. Yeah. yeah. Especially like the, the big flat edge of, of, of those tools. No, I was going to say, I use like the the um, the Graston type technique. Yes. And I use a, a hook. It's called clotagege. I'm probably mispronouncing that like crazy. <laughs> it's, it's basically like a hook. And that I find that really effective for like um, golfers, tennis elbows, like distal hamstrings, right. feet, hands. That allows you to get really specific into a into like the, the the bony framework. The fascinating point of what you just kind of gave me as feedback there. I was watching a documentary. I think it was a, a CrossFit Games documentary, and basically one of the uh, PTs or a massage therapist for one of the competitors was basically saying, you know he can kind of sense based on when he puts hands on muscles or fascia of a certain competitor, he'd be like, oh, this person's going to do well today. Oh, do, really? Yeah. Do you, do, have you kind of come across that, that type of thing? Can uh, you kind of uh, sense I mean, by muscle tone or? Yeah, like, like or, or maybe on the other side, like if I work with someone very unhealthy, yeah. like you, you know, like the skin, there's no pliability to the skin. The skin's like really oily. Right. Like we do these like, um, fascial techniques where you're trying to just basically bias the skin internally, externally, up and down. And with someone who's like really dysfunctional, that skin just doesn't glide. There's no like pliability to that skin. So it's like, you think if, if the skin doesn't move that well, for sure as hell, there's no sliding sort of like surfaces of the muscles. And then for sure, there's no joint mobility. And you can pretty much guarantee the capsular like element of the joint is probably fibrose too, because the skin is so superficial there should be a lot of movement yeah um but yeah with with good like i've worked with a few high high-end athletes tennis players for sure yeah they have that definitely a different type of feel to them they have generally really good mobility they're very well balanced the skin tone is is way lower there's definitely more pliability in the in the fascial planes but i, I find it more obvious with people who are really bad right right Other if you, than yeah, if you get your hands on someone who's really banged up, like, yeah, their body just doesn't feel like a regular human body, to be honest. Right, right. That, that can be good for you, though, in a, in a sense of treatment because you're able to show them, like, okay, this is where you're at. And even after, I'm, I'm sure after one session, that person probably feels a ton better than what they did when they initially came in. Yeah, even if, even if someone comes in who's got, like, systemic sort of, like, just generic low back pain, hip pain, back pain, even if you, they go to go for a Swedish massage, not nothing specific, yeah. just to just to induce some relaxation, bring down the cortisol, they're gonna feel better because they're just so pent up and tight. Just a, a basic sports massage, full body, will work wonders for those people too. You don't even have to get super specific with the selective functional movement assessment or any instrument assisted therapy. You just have them relax for an hour, and that that can really help too. With the uh, with the general massage, do you notice someone who maybe is a little bit more pent up and you know obviously has those coping mechanisms? Do you, do you for find, sure. Do you find that they're kind of harder to let go during a massage and kind of relax into it? Or yeah, yes, they they yeah they they want to talk and they want everything like I want a deep tissue massage and right. that means like you need to like crack your elbow in their lower back and it hurts them like that's what that's generally what most people think a deep tissue massage is. It needs to be kind of painful, maybe leave a bruise or two. Uh, and it's, it, that's not really the case, really. Um, so yeah, I have people come in, and they, or I've even clients who I'm training. We might do some soft tissue work before end of the session, 
yeah, and they want me to like brutalize them for 10 minutes to make them feel good. It's like, okay, like you've been with me long enough now. We, you know, this isn't the way we have to do it. You know what I mean? Right. There's many ways to skin that cat. And sometimes you need to get in deep and crank on a muscle or crank on a joint. Yeah, you, sometimes that's that's needed, but most of the time it probably is not. You have a two-day seminar coming up, correct? Yeah, I do actually. I have a, I have a couple of two-day seminars coming up. Nice. Yeah, go ahead, fill in everyone on that. So yeah, basically, I'm teaching a, a massage course. It's, it's, it's aimed at a licensed massage therapist. Okay. It's like a 16-hour class, uh, sanctioned by the NCBTMB. And basically, what I'm trying to do in the massage world, in in the training world now, I find because I attend seminars with training classes and massage classes. Yeah. And uh, what I what I found is like that the the education for trainers is getting pretty good. Like you can go to a lot of good seminars now. Yeah. But in and but in in the massage world, there's not as many. There's not. I've not been to many actually where it's purely aimed at massage people. The level of education is actually pretty uh, bad. Okay. Um, so what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to marry in the movement aspect of my 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 training over the last 10, 12 years or whatever, and the the, the soft tissue work. So what I'm trying to do is um, educate massage people on like the joint by joint theory and how we can use that for body work because we know if if we use that theory and you're familiar with the joint by joint john right yeah yeah from a board so I, mean, I know all about it <laughs> okay great so i'm i'm assuming most of your listeners do too uh but in the massage world if you if you say hey do you know about this they're like no i don't know and so basically i'm, I'm i want to teach that and educate the therapist how they can use this system to devise a treatment plan. Mm. So if someone comes in and you work in a spa setting or a, not a real clinical setting, right. you don't have to go through this assessment or this uh, screen. You just check the big toe, you check the ankle, you check the hips, you check the T-spine, you check the upper neck, you check the shoulder. Mm -hmm. They're the areas that generally, generally need soft tissue work. Okay. But what happens is in massage, like, we work the lower back, we might work the hamstrings, we might work the places that hurt, not really the places that are prone to that real like stiffness in the joints and stiffness in the muscle tissue too. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, I think that's a pretty cool approach because number one, it's refreshing to have someone kind of take it upon themselves to go out and kind of bridge the gap right between uh, continuing education and trying to further the profession itself. Yeah, yeah, there's not many because I think I know quite a few trainers now who have got like uh, massage um, licenses, yeah. but I don't know many massage people who go the other way. That's they start point. as massage. Yeah, I don't know many point. people who go that way. I only know people who go the other way. Right. So actually, I've, I've got the uh, thing in front of me right here. So basically, we're trying to teach people like the, the upper low cross syndrome, the under upper low cross syndrome. Mm -hmm. and, and what I found, or what I, I think, like the upper low cross syndrome is the same as the joint by joint theory. It's just the upper cross syndrome looks at the soft tissues. The joint by joint for you looks at the joints, but it's if you if you overlap them on one another, they're kind of the same. Like most people who have upper lower cross syndrome or upper and lower cross syndrome, sorry, they'll fall in with the joint by joint and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I want to teach like the the functional movement screen, the two fundamental screens, so straight leg raise, shoulder mobility. Right. Teach people how to incorporate some sort of like rehab, prehab, like rest postures into their training as a massage therapist. Because okay. in some states, the laws are very gray and what we can tell people to do. Really? But if you tell people just to adopt 
a shin box. We're doing some hip mobility work. We're doing some thoracic spine work. Yeah. So it's just how we can incorporate these rest postures throughout the day to help our, our clients further. Okay. Interesting. Now, you, uh, you mentioned there are rest positions. Can you talk about rest positions when it comes to human movement patterns and the influence of those? Sure. Like, um, I was exposed to this theory by um, a guy called Philip Beach. He's based in New Zealand. He wrote a book, actually. What's the title? <clears throat> the title of the book is called uh, Muscles and Meridians, the, Manip the Manipulation of Shape. Okay. So, so what, what he suggests is there's – I think he has 12 or 13 rest postures in his book. So you've got things like a long sit. So sitting on your butt, legs out, legs out in front of you, just sitting up. Most clients, most of my clients – aren't comfortable in that position. Deep squat, just sitting in a deep squat. Yeah. Again, most of my clients are not comfortable in that position. Most of the general public are not comfortable in that position. Sitting on the floor cross-legged, like half lotus. Right. Sitting on the floor in a, like a shin box type posture, like a 90-90. Sitting on your haunches, sitting on your toes. He, he suggests all these postures or rest positions should be able to, um, should be comfortable, sorry, for a minimum of 20 minutes. Okay. So, uh, and, and, and he has some also some prone and supine postures. Like I see it a lot, and, and most massage people see a lot, and most trainers will see it a lot. You get a guy on their back or a girl on their back to do bridges or whatnot. They're clamming for a, a, a pillow or, a, or a, an Airx pad to put under the back of their neck because right. they don't have thoracic extension. They mm -hmm. don't have OA extension or flexion, so they need to prop themselves up because they, they can't rest. They can't get into that position of rest. And it's crazy because uh, we want to train people in doing squats, lunges, shin box type postures, but we most of the public can't get in that position and be comfortable due to joint issues, capsular issues, just being generally deconditioned. I mean, so yeah, the rest postures have been huge for me actually, and it's, uh, it's it, it, the clients do actually buy into that. And and in actual fact, some of the rest postures. I've had to regress myself to, to accommodate certain clients because they, they, they can't do it. Right. They, can't, they can't even get into the posture. So is the book type of a, a kind of a guide for basically, okay, if you're a fully functioning may, or a adult, you should be able to get into these postures if you have somewhat decent mobility and stability? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He calls it, he, he calls it biomechanical tune. So if I see John and say, you come into me, and you've got a bad knee, we'll put you in these postures. Like, we don't care about your knee per se. Right. Can you adopt these rest postures? If the answer is no, like, then you need to get good at the rest postures because no wonder your knee hurts. Right. <laughs> like, you can't sit down with your leg straight. Like, you've got no, like, posterior chain extensibility. You can't sit down. And uh, a big one I see is the prone, and um, the supine, sorry. Clients lying supine, mm -hmm. and, and, and even clients lying prone with the head turned one way. Like, a lot of people have like big issues with that, and it's it's, it's thoracic spine and upper neck, and again that that feeds in exactly to the joint by joint. T spine's tight, OA's tight, hence people can't lie face down when their head turned yeah. 90 degrees one way. Yeah. So I, I find the thing I like about this stuff, it's all kind of the same. I think everyone's saying the same thing. They're just using different language, like right, right. like the, the joint by joint, yanders up a lower cross, the rest postures. It's, it's the same. It's just a different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think when when Mike Boyle came up with the joint by joint, he was referring to to Janda, right? So, 
Um, oh, did he really? Yeah, I, I think so. If I, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I read his book, but um, I definitely agree with you. It's the same message, just different language and you know, slight differences here and there. But overall, you're kind of getting at the same same message overall, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the joint by joint free is nice because it looks at the joint. Right. Uh, the, the, I mean, we say stiff ankle. And of, of course, stiff ankle joint probably means stiff plantar flexors too. Right. Same with the hip, stiff hip. I mean, and who said it? I think it's like a, a spinal uh, surgeon, Nikolai Bugduck. He said, uh, like, looking at a tight muscle in lieu of looking at the joint is, is crazy. Like, you can't... You can't uh, separate them they, they're, they're married so you can't just joint or just muscle you have to kind of like look at both they, they, they feed one another yeah the uh the resting positions that you mentioned it, it really is fascinating because i'll have people in for an assessment and i do kind of like a hybrid fms and i incorporate some assessments from pri and stuff like that so when you come in and you have like people say oh you know i i sleep on my right side every night and then you're like okay i can't stand on my left leg or a prolonged period of time, like a single leg stand, even just you know, not not even right. incorporating any weight. I was like, okay, this this makes sense. Or you know, I can't turn my head to the left a whole lot. Like all these patterns fit in, and it's like this is what you do all day long. And coming in, seeing me, you know, is a, is a start. But understand, there's a lot of work to do there in order to get you to where you need to be. Because number one, we we should actually make you aware of these everyday patterns, so we can kind of stop that, and then we can kind of keep working towards the goal. But it's huge the the influence these everyday patterns have on people. Yeah, it's, and I mean, most of our clients are probably spending 15, 16, 17 hours in the seated position. So yes, uh, we can do all the soft tissue work we want in their hips and their pecs and whatnot. But if they're sitting for sixteen hours, like we're pissing in the wind, so to speak, right. we need to like edu- <laughs> we need to educate them to like like it's the said principle, right? It's a specific ad- adaptation to impose demands. Right. If you're if you sit for 16 hours a day, you're going to get really good at sitting. So when we ask you to open up, you're like, uh-uh, I don't really do this. <laughs> so um, that's why I think the floor postures, the resting postures, if we can get people using those positions outside of the gym, because we, we don't need to do this in the gym. I mean, it's like, this is what you do when you're at home with your kids or you're home watching TV. You just You sit on the floor in a certain way or you don't sit in your chair and watch, right. watch TV and you can sit on the floor. Uh yeah, it's sitting is probably the, the the main thing that's really like driving clients through our doors. I think. Have you noticed like with, with Eastern cultures and in Asia, especially like people are hanging out, they're just in a full squat. Yeah, it's crazy. Right. I was in China. Um, when was I in China? I was in China last year, and I was walking around, and you see people doing Tai Chi, playing right. with swords. Um, just yeah, and just sitting around squatting, smoking cigarettes right. in a deep squat. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's because I think it's the way they go to the bathroom. It's just it's just the way they sort of like they live their lives. But in the US, uh, I mean, my deep squat's not fantastic, and I, I do it every day, and I, 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 I'm comfortable now. Right. But uh, it, it took time. It took oh, a yeah. lot of time actually. I mean, I'm not naturally like a loose kind of guy. Most most clients who I first see, they're, they're not nowhere near. Like they're not resting in rest postures. They're working out. Yes. And in actual fact, I sometimes do it as like a like a workout. I do a circuit. I say, hey, squat for thirty seconds, right. lie face, turn to the left, and I do it as like a I don't want to say a metabolic circuit, but more of like a, a compensation, like a cool down circuit. Yeah. Rest postures. They're like, wow, this stuff's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, 
you're only, you're not really doing anything. You should be resting, but right now it's not restful. Yes, that's uh, that's really good, and also depend on on where someone is coming to you at, right? That that could be super challenging for someone. For sure, for sure. Like I had a client a couple of weeks ago, stiff as a board, doing a lot. Do do it. Like he's he needs he needs a lot of soft tissue work, and he needs a lot of flexibility and mobility training. So I said I showed him the long sit, and uh, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He he fell back. Mm-hmm. So I had to prop him up on like five or six cushions, and even then he was like he wasn't resting. Like we had to put him really high to. Because so I said I tried to tell people like this stuff shouldn't be. If you're doing it as rest, it needs to be rest. You're not you're not getting no cramp in your TFLs. You're not holding them with your abs. You're not holding your breath. You're just purely relaxing. So we need to make it as easy as possible to do that but this guy this one particular guy we had to really really regress it and he was like he was he was amazed how how far he'd let himself sort of go really in terms of his his basic movement but um but it's common i don't think that's a a rare a rarity i think that's probably a common thing now i I agree with that because kind of comparing the eastern to western cultures we we definitely have more of obviously a a priority on on work on this side of things i feel like that's the way but well yeah like my 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 girlfriend's like a big yogi and she um showed me a yoga book and they had um all these squat postures and they're squatting and they're twisting they're squatting and they're doing all this crazy stuff but there was no picture of a squat in there it was just squatting doing other stuff there was no Hey, just do a squat because right. it's like back then it was like who can't do a squat? It's just like <laughs> like it's a god-given right. You, you pop out and within six months you're doing a squat, right. but uh, we lose it. We we lose it and we lose it pretty quickly actually. That's very true. That's very true. And uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of putting the pieces back together. And, like the habits are, are kind of taking away that that natural-born movement we should have access to, and then we've got to yeah. obviously go yeah. to people like yourself and myself and try and regain that, right? So. Well, it's a skill we lose. I mean, it's not something we generally yeah, well, learn. Not, not we have to relearn it. it. Yeah, exactly. We um, have to relearn it and uh, break it down that way. Right, true. Right, true. All right, Danny, let's take a look at basically the four pillars when it comes to yourself. Okay, so if we're talking about stress management, are there any kind of techniques that you incorporate? It could be like meditating or, or anything along those lines, but anything you consciously use to kind of help you uh, avoid going too far yeah, in one direction? I'm- yeah, yeah, there's a few things actually. Um, I'm, a, I'm an avid meditator. I meditate every day. I've not missed a day of meditation now for three years. And um, so I do I do it once, sometimes twice a day, like transcendental meditation. Right. If your listeners don't know about it, it's definitely worth uh, looking into. It, it's, it's kind of expensive. It's like a thousand bucks. But it's definitely worth the, the way they've got it systemized is really good actually. It makes it very uh, doable. And it makes it, you're invested because you have to invest a bit of time as well. It's not just the money. You have to invest your time. Yeah. So, yeah, transcendental meditation or whatever meditation you like. So I do that every day. And I, I have like a, a mobility practice I do most mornings. It takes me between 25 and 40 minutes. I just put some soft music on and I do that pretty much. Wake up, coffee, and then, I, and then I'll, I'll do that. And that's kind of like meditative, I guess. I mean, I'm not really – um. I'm not meditating per se, but I'm being very mindful in that, that 40 minutes of my mobility training in the morning. Nice. Are there any, uh, do you have like a guided mindfulness uh, routine you follow, or is it just kind of kind of clearing your mind? You mean with my uh, mobility stuff? Yeah. No, I just put on some like Starbucks music okay. and uh, just, just do my mobility and okay. just, yeah. Yeah, but then 
in, in later on in that day I'll do a 20 minute meditation where I'm no music no no nothing just sit in a sit in a soft spot and just just relax for them 20 minutes yeah keep it quiet yeah nice, nice. when it comes to sleep what are your uh, your go-to methods here as much as possible <laughs> volume yeah no I, I, I um I try to go to bed before 11 I try and be in bed by like between 10 and 11 okay I try and wake up about eight I set an alarm for 8 15 I generally wake up before my alarm I try and not have coffee sort of after two o'clock and in Miami, we have Cuban coffee, so you have one of those at 2 o'clock, you're done. <laughs> you're on fire. And I, I, I've got a supplement like in the evening around about 6 o'clock. I'll take about 500 milligrams of magnesium. Then I'll take another 500 around about 10 o'clock. I'll drink some chamomile tea. I have an acupressure, an acupressure mat in my, in my bed, okay. on my bed, should I say. I'll lie on that for 10 minutes. And actually, uh, this is a tip I got from Charles Poliquin. I just think of three or four things I was grateful for that day. Yeah. And that could be, I was grateful that I got to eat in this restaurant. I was grateful that I got to have that glass of wine. I'm grateful that my client showed up on time. It could be something very small. But I waste two or three things that I'm, I'm, I was grateful for on that day. And then I, then I just put the AC down cold, room super, super dark, which is a problem I have to wake up at night because I literally can't see a thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I try, like I said, I try and sleep for like at least eight hours, at least, maybe longer. Yeah, I've had a couple of people come on and tell me about uh, the use of magnesium, and, and they uh, they swear by it. And I've had one person tell me about magnesium spray on their sheets before they go to bed too. So, oh, yeah. I've used magnesium cream, like a trans uh, transdermal cream, right? Which works really well because it's it's very fast acting; it bypasses the liver, so that's good. They have a magnesium spray as well, like an oil-based spray. But I've got kind of like sensitive skin. If I put that stuff on me, man, I'm like, I'm itchy like crazy. <laughs> um, but the, the cream works. Bed, yeah. No, but the cream works really well. The cream okay. is really good. Okay, I must check so, yeah, that magnesium, out. Yeah, magnesium. I've been using that for a long time now. And actually, when I got I got tested for some mineral deficiencies a couple of years ago, and I was actually deficient in magnesium. So I was like, wow, I'm taking like half a gram, a gram of this stuff a day, and I was still deficient. So interesting. Yeah. So we mentioned already your mobility routine. How, how do you structure your week or it could be your month, right, when it comes to exercise and training? So the, what I do, like every beginning of the month, I write myself like a, a program to do at home. Yeah. So, for example, this month, um, it's mobility, okay. uh, spi all spinal mobility. It takes me about 28 minutes. And then I do some uh, nunchucker training, believe it or not. I do about 20 minutes of that in my house. That's before I leave for, the, for work. And then during the day, if I, well, I do have time, I make time, I'll do some strength work, like two to four days a week. Okay. And that'll be like, right now I'm working on a couple of skills like handstand push-ups, press handstands, some pulling strength, like one-arm pull-up stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'll try and do some sort of like weight. So deadlifts, I'll do deadlifts every Wednesday and some kettlebell training on the weekend. Nice. So uh, I always try and do something new, beginning... So the strength training is pretty. It stays pretty consistent right now. I've been doing the same type of routine for about three or four months. Yeah. Because it's, it's a lot of skill, you know what I mean. Um, the deadlifts is just like just phasing through like five, three, one deadlifts, uh, and the kettlebell stuff is just. I do some heavy stuff and I'll do some like juggling with the kettlebells for like twenty minutes. So yeah, I do. I, I'm, I try to, and I do a lot of acro yoga. So I try to keep it like 
a lot of different stuff actually. Yeah, you've got a quite, quite a nice balance in there, really. Yeah, yeah, it's Miami, right? It's the outdoor life. So exactly, yeah, my like, like, like there's a whole crew here who meet outside and they do their, their yoga, acro yoga, which is it's fun, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the good thing is with the stuff I do, it's kind of, if you get good at kettlebells and you've got like a nice good deadlift and you can do some sort of like body weight stuff, the acro yoga stuff, it really helps it, you know what I mean? It makes it very easy and very accessible. A good, a good line I think I read in one of Mike Boyle's books as well it was like, you know, guys who strength train all the time need to do yoga and people who do yoga need to strength train. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always say to like my clients, like, and it's probably not exactly true, but it sounds good. I always say men need to train like women and women need to train like men. Right. Like women go to yoga and Pilates, men go to the gym. Women need to strength train and men need to go to yoga and Pilates. Right, have, have a bit of both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. it would help. Cool. The, uh, the approach to, to eating, nutrition, what's, uh, what's it look like in this area? Uh, right now, I tend to eat really light during the day. So sometimes nothing and then a big meal at night like so i might on a general day like today for example i've not eaten i've not actually eaten since sun i've not eaten since sunday actually it's, it's tuesday now yeah so are you are um, you doing intermittent fasting on purpose there or is that yeah yeah i guess it kind of fits in with my lifestyle like i'm at work all day i'm not stressing about going to whole foods or packing lunch i might take a, a piece of fruit or two maybe a protein shake if i'm going to do some lifting right and I'll just come home and have a decent meal, like a, a paleo-type meat, vegetable-type meal with some yogurt, possibly. Um, on the weekends, it's a, it's a, I generally eat more than one meal, maybe sometimes two, sometimes three. Right. But during the week, sometimes on Friday, I might have two meals, but Monday through sort of like Thursday, one meal. And, and actually, I've been fasting for 48 hours every um, Sunday night through Tuesday for the last sort of like three or four weeks. Nice. You, you find that works pretty well for you? It has done, but now I've, I've lost the, like um, I'm getting kind of lean. Like last night, man, I was I was dying. It didn't feel good. Uh, my sleep was bad, and but I don't know if it's because of that. But last night wasn't a great night, I must admit. Okay. But normally I I'm, I feel great. You know what I mean? I'm, I've got a load of energy. I'm training once or twice a day. But yeah, it's not for everyone. I mean, fasting is a bit of a weird thing. People get on there sort of like high horse about it. Some people get really offended. Some people get really defensive. Right. But it fits in with my lifestyle. That's probably the main reason why. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And again, it's like for everyone listening, we, we've kind of mentioned this before on the podcast, like when it comes to nutrition, it's such a wide topic and there's so much in there, but it's kind of finding out what works for you. Yeah, and, and it depends as well. Like why are you doing it? Yeah, yeah. Why Why are you doing it in the minute fasting? Why are you cutting calories? There's different reasons why. And if you... Like for me, it's lifestyle. I don't have to pack food. I can wake up, do my training in my house, go to work, take a cup of coffee, come home and eat. It's great. Yeah. Like, there's no stress, you know what I mean? Exactly. So I work in a gym where there's a lot of like bodybuilder type dudes and every three hours they run into their fridge and they're grabbing out their Tupperware of like right. boiled chicken and broccoli. I'm like, oh, fuck that, man. No way. They have the That's gallon jug of water too. Yeah, and they're all, yeah, distilled water. Uh, and they're all sort of like heavy kind of set guys carrying too much body weight and it's like I mean, that stuff might have worked for you back in the day when you're pumping yourself full of stuff now you're not like, the game's changed physiology changes the approach to nutrition is really it, it's crazy because a lot of times someone will find what works for them and they want other people to do it and that, that can be coming from a really good place you know what I mean like they can mean the best but again, it's not maybe suitable for everyone, and it's just—it's kind of a journey no. almost to find what works for you personally. Exactly, and some people are way more sensitive to blood sugar, way more sensitive yeah. 
to um, like cortisol, just way more sensitive. So maybe I'm coughing on an empty stomach. So uh, like, yeah, I'm, I, I don't push any fasting on anyone. If, if they ask me in my opinion, I'll send them a couple of links. I'll say, read this stuff. Any questions, ask me. But uh, I don't generally advise people on that. But I point, try and point them into certain directions. But fasting's like huge now. Like it's, it's like become very, very, very popular yeah, now. Yeah, it has. They, well, intermittent fasting is big, and then you know the ketogenic diet is is big right now too, and that kind of has a role of, of you know fasting in there too. So, are you familiar with Ori? Oh, what's his last name? Ori. His name's eluding me, but he wrote the Warrior Diet. Oh, I ha- I haven't read it, but I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it's not it's not intermittent fasting per se. What he 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 suggests. He suggests eating really light during the day. So really light, we're talking, he doesn't really talk about calories, but it's probably about 500 calories in the day. Yeah. So a piece of yogurt, some fruit, some eggs, a protein shake, and then you have like a meal at night. And you just do, so you effectively have one big meal and grazing throughout the day. So uh, that's pretty much what I do. Sometimes I don't graze, sometimes I do, it just depends. Yeah, the, uh, the point you made about it kind of works on your schedule, I definitely identify with that because I'll, I'll basically work from 6 a.m. maybe to maybe midday right straight through and even by then I may not be hungry I may have some water some coffee and stuff like that and then maybe late lunch I'll have something light and then maybe a big dinner on top of that yeah you know. yeah a, w- a while ago actually about a month ago I fasted for five days didn't eat a single thing for five days okay. and I was training twice a day I, I got like a PR on my deadlift I felt like a machine but <laughs> But man, like after like the, the the when I went to the fifth day, like Thursday night, yeah, like man, the hunger was incredible. It's like like now when people don't eat for ten hours, like, I'm hungry. I'm like, uh, that's not hunger. Right. Like, that's not <laughs> yeah. that's not hunger. That's like just emotion. Right. That's like behavior. That's yeah. not hunger. But after like four four and a half days, man, like the feeling I had in my body was was weird. So you were feeling pretty ketogenic at that point, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah very dark on the keto strips yeah because yeah. i was literally nothing just water uh some like a uh, saline solutions yeah. type stuff and coffee tea wow yeah i felt great i felt fine i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't suggest it to anyone thinking right. about uh, <laughs> it's a bit, bit of a challenge sometimes you gotta like so like self-imposed impoverishment i call it you gotta like put yourself through the ring every now and then exactly exactly and it's also good to know how your body responds in different situations right yeah yeah exactly yeah Hey, Danny, this has been really enlightening. Uh, I've, I've learned a ton. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. No, cheers. Thanks for having me on, John. I appreciate it. For everybody listening at home, just kind of fill them in on uh, your website, social media links, all that good stuff. Okay, cool. So my website is um, com. Sorry, go, I'm going to put all these links in the, in the show notes too. Ah, oh, cheers. Thanks for that. Uh, social media, Instagram is com. Facebook, I have a Facebook group, I think. Uh, my girlfriend's in charge of all that stuff. That's painpostureperformance.com. Uh, painpostureperformance, sorry, on Instagram. And that's pretty much it right right now. Okay. But she's in. If you get if you ever message us and you get a reply and it's grammatically correct, it's from her. <laughs> if you get a reply and it's like the cat crawled over the keyboard, it was from me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely check out this guy's social media. There's a lot of quality content on there and uh, really seeing his, his manual techniques on people is fascinating kind of gives you an insight into uh, what he does on a daily basis uh, number one it's, it's fascinating to watch number two it's pretty high energy for you do you, do you feel kind of drained after some sessions uh, yeah you can do yeah, yeah it, it, especially 
yeah, yeah, you can. I, I mean, I've, I've been doing this a long time now, so right. I've, I've tried to put like that, that barrier, so to speak, where I don't try and let like the, the outcome affect me personally or physically too much. But yeah, there is a lot of effort sometimes in manual work. Same with training, right? I mean, yeah, it's exactly, hard sometimes. Exactly. Listen. Um, All right. Well, thanks, thanks again, Danny. We, I really appreciate it. Cheers, John. Thanks a lot, mate. Guys, listen at home. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Florida Health Podcast. And we will catch you guys on the next one.